Mel, if we had gotten married, would we have hyphenated, do you think? Oof. Probably. I'm just asking what Fox I feel Grower. like everyone wants to know. Actually, Fox Grower is a pretty cool Fox last That's a pretty dope. You know what? We, we, you just, could just, just smash them together. Yeah. Frower? No, no. Fox Grower. Fox Grower. Oh. Fox Grower. Isn't that cute? That, yeah. Okay. So if we did not. It would just be like one word. It would be Fox Grower. Y'all we yeah. should get married because like that's a. You don't want I was to say a sick we, name. I was going to say if we did hyphenate, Grower Fox feels very. Like of the North Shore Grower Foxes. Oh, oh yes, right. that is very. Pro- I mean, I feel like it goes really well both ways. I did yeah. just hear there was a judge in New York who like put a stamp okay on on uh, a polyamorous, polyamorous marriage. Oh. Well, options are open. Uh, right. Options are open. Every day. Excellent. <laughs> Doors opening constantly. <laughs> what a blessed time. <laughs> Folks, uh, we're back. Instead of doing a second session of our game, we're doing another session zero because uh, we have to change so much. Um, In an incredible plot twist, we love world building. Yeah, surprise, we do. So this this Can't is probably actually going to work out in our favor. We are not in the studio. The studio is currently being rented today, uh, so we're in a more echoey environment than normal. But again, this is Boco. And also, this is non-narrative, so yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. fine. This is fine. Um, let's let's just go around the horn real quick uh, and have everybody introduce themselves. Uh, we're gonna go clockwise on this one. Allie, hello, it's me, Allie Grower, Mergieski. I'm here. <laughs> Whispered at the end. <laughs> for legal purposes. We all know. For legal purposes. Yeah, yeah, st- stage name and marriage <laughs> uh, name. Yes, I'm here. I am back to play. Um, th- I, what I'm excited about here is that by redesigning what we're doing <laughs> completely almost, uh, we all have a lot of freedom to play and and put our own stamp on things and we're all really good at that so i'm excited about that hi everybody this is drew merzieski i'm back again to do things and stuff uh thank you all so much for having me here and i'm super excited to delve in and world build a bit more Hey, what's going on? It's Mel Fox tomato. Wow. <laughs> I'm doing the bit. It's a it's good a bit. bit. We're doing a bit. It's a good bit. For legal purposes, this is a joke. This is a, bit. This is a joke. All right, folks. We are here because we are changing the setting and system for the game that we're playing. Um, and system-wise, we've kind of figured out what we're going to do. Well, we'll talk about that uh, next recording session, I think. But for this one. What we're going to do is just like figure out ways to file off some serial numbers and also create like a, a, a sense of, of a common sense of place and, and sort of what this means, because we sort of went full improv session one. We did. Made up a lot of things. Yep. And we just want to make sure that we're all making up along the same lines here. So aesthetically uh, one of the things that we talked about sort of off mic is kind of what our spacefaring fantasy setting 
means to us mm-hmm. uh, and visually what we, we think it is, what how it looks, what, what it works like. Um, and the thing is, we introduced a lot of neon to the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also introduced the idea of streaming in some way. Definitely. So some form of streaming. Ali and Drew justifiably wanted to reconcile that in <laughs> any possible way little, that, that makes sense. Reconciliation as a treat. Uh, do we want to talk about a little bit of where we ended up in yeah. terms of that? Um, I think one of the things that helps sort of narrow it down is um, when Drew and I think about uh, spell, spell jammer, Spam jammy. Spam jam. We often reference uh, the underrated Disney animated feature film Treasure Planet, um, but Treasure Planet is and is futuristic, yes, and spacefaring, yes, but analogous to uh, like the 1700s. So we wanted to know kind of like what visual analog and what technology analog are we working with? Are we working with a treasure planet situation where it's like 1700s aesthetic with spacefaring and neon? Or did we have a more fluid idea in mind? And I think what you said, James, was you were referencing Discworld. Yeah, like I sort of want the aesthetics to be like anachronistic almost like we've got all this space stuff but it is still fantasy times you know i really i want people to have swords i want swords to be a relevant thing wizard robes yeah wizard robes like i I don't want people looking out of place Mm -hmm. exactly but like i do love the idea of there being an injection a sousson of neon a a, a pinch in what we're doing so so like yeah you get those cool kind of like hyper color and and neon touches intermixed with this fantasy stuff yeah um and like you know there there is i think a level of technology in treasure planet that is like a little bit ahead of where i want us i want it to feel like somebody took chunks of space stuff and mixed it in rather than like a fine blend. Yeah. In space. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's more of a, it's more like a salsa than like a puree. Yeah. Mm, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Salsa. Neon salsa. So, so that's, that's where we're at. We're also, yeah. we're starting in Caldera, like the, the city that we established. It is an extremely, cosmopolitan place like there we established that there are ships that are shipping in and out resources from Mm -hmm. caldera all the time Mm -hmm. so like i think there are different places within the universe or perhaps multiverse of this setting where uh space travel might be less common or whatnot but like we are in a place where it is fairly common and this is how it expresses itself um with all of that in mind we have some important questions to answer and i think the first is, how does space work? How space? How does space? How does one space? How space work? How do space? How does space work? Now, do we want to call a scientist, or <laughs> should we just no? What I mean is like, should my we, three options. Do we want to? Mm, do we? Do we want to talk about space travel, James? Or so this is actually. Uh, I figured space would be a good segue into traveling through space. Got it. Because in Smell Slammer, there's like the space that we kind of recognize looking up at the night sky that has like 
heavenly bodies in it. Mm -hmm. And then you go far enough and you get outside of that. And there's a different sort of space that is kind of weird and doesn't have time and stuff. And then you can go into a bubble of another type of space in another plane. Mm -hmm. So it's space, but it's also extremely not space. So I think there's a lot of room for whatever we want with it. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it when space gets weird. We all do. That's that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's easy enough to just go like, oh, there's air in space. That's a possibility. We could just say that. Yeah. We just say, we want hey, that's what happens. It's, but I, I am very curious to see what we feel about atmosphere around planets and then like what is out beyond that. And if we get to something else or something else or something else. And I'm interested to see what we what we are interested in. So the the question is maybe how big a deal do we want the ship to be? If a ship gets in a shipwreck, how screwed is everybody inside? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um like I am imagining like right now we have a narwhal shaped spaceship um that I, I think there is like a rooftop deck area to mm -hmm. it, but yes. like we're not like a traditional sailing ship with a top deck. Um, and one thing that we could decide is that like there aren't ships that look like uh, sailing vessels. Uh, they're all kind of enclosed or it's open air because there's some kind of either life support system that keeps a bubble of air around your ship or there's air in space. Mm -hmm. Um how we feeling? What do we want aesthetically? Where are we at? My initial reaction is to say that there are no sails. You know, to distance ourselves a little bit more from uh, uh, Jemmy's Pass and Treasure Planet. Yeah, and to to say that there are no that sort of uh, propulsion via wind or solar wind or whatever we want to call it is not the way that we're doing this. So then are all ships enclosed? Like, I think so. Anybody have any feelings on, on not? Because I also think it's very cool if there is like, there is air. Like a space. promenade deck that yeah. we can go up on and like gaze wistfully at the stars as we sail past them. I think much like um, the fact that every planet is going to be a different and have different technologies, perhaps there are sections of space that have different properties and we're going to cross oh, through many of them. So this sort of tugs on like a soft pitch that I maybe had, and I don't know exactly how I feel about this one, so I'll just throw it out there. Okay. Go for it. The idea that space as you know it is something that grows up around a place where there are creatures and whatnot. And space is somewhat a reflection of the collective imaginations of those creatures. So some places have air and some places there's this void because there is not a lot of imagination and whatnot. And this sort of dovetails into how I would think FTL would work in something like this, where in order to go from like one planet or a solar system or whatever, uh, because those places are reflections of imaginations, you have to go through like a connective node between those two cultures' imaginations 
Uh, so there's room for things like very primal kind of like reflective things that are like almost like a hell dimension idea where it's like, oh yeah, everybody's afraid of the dark. So if we want to go directly to this place, we could just kind of go through the dark tunnel and be aware that like we're going to be spending some time going through the primal like mass cultural fear of the dark as we venture to this infinite and terrifying void basically yeah but like you can also like in places that are maybe closer by it's like well you know uh there is a path that is like through the appreciation of lemons so like we could just zip through there i love that i love that because that also I mean, that means that space around every place will be different, so we can come up with something different every time. But that also means that space, for lack of a better term, faring civilizations, their ships are more utilitarian. So they're like, well, we don't know the next place we'll go, so it will be more uh, open-ended to, like, utilitarian to what that ship can do and what it's built for. I love that. That's actually really interesting. Does everybody gel with that? Does everybody feel like they understand that and it makes sense to them? Can we file it down into like an elevator pitch sentence? Because I think I get what, what's being said here, but I, I, I want to... Space is imagination, mm-hmm. which means that your home star system is the imagination that would be most familiar to you um, and your planet so like some cultures are imagining space as like a vast ocean because they're an oceanic culture so like there are weird space fish up there um and some places like space is maybe they don't even have a planet maybe they're like weird connections of dots or whatever you know like so in order to travel through space you have to find like commonalities between like thought and being Mm -hmm. um and like when you show up somewhere like you're kind of playing by their weird rules and maybe like there are certain things that we can establish as like well this is generally speaking what happens but otherwise like we're in this area where like maybe common systems close by systems are just like well, yeah, you know, the elf planet and the human planet aren't that much different, really. Um, so, like, their solar systems are kind of alike. And maybe they're even in the same galaxy or star cluster or whatever. But, like, you can get out really far into, like, eel space. And <laughs> those, and they're perverts. Those freaky little bastards. Yeah. It's just nothing but just, you know, writhing. Yeah, gonna, as, as far as eternity can go. For the sake of my stomach, I'm going to X card on eels. Yeah. Okay. No eels. Uh, we'll call it noodle space. That's <laughs> fine. Noodles? Totally fine. Things that rise? Is there a uh, a space between those spaces? <laughs> so I think the space between those space. Uh, oh, 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 so like if you were to, instead of FTL... I think, honestly, the space between spaces is just connective. If we were to think of it like um, neurons, mm-hmm. like basically splintering off and touching on each other and like sharing zaps and whatnot, like you're just kind of getting funneled down like, yeah, this is 
a fear of dark. This is uh, a, a like of the light mm-hmm. or whatever. You're you're trying to travel down these different nodes and like that's between them. And and I think like if you were to hop outside of that, there's like weird void space or something that is just like completely outside the universe entirely. Yeah, the idea that if you go if you go too far out, it's just a brain. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, like, we are the thoughts in some cosmic. You know, anyway, well, yeah, that's why I was. I was just thinking, like, that. Do you do you see this as being a, a direct reflection of the imagination of the people that inhabit those specific planets? And if it's an uninhabited planet, shit gets really weird. Okay, I I, I kind of think so. Um, and and shit might just be very blank. Like I think perhaps part of the cosmology here is a planet. Or a, a star system, generally speaking, is the catalyst for life. Mm. It's not that life is there now. It's that this can hold life and therefore its rules will be shaped by that life when it emerges. That's really cool. That's really cool. Like that. So when you're talking about the FDL, it's basically connecting imagination to collective imagination mm. so like if we are let, let us say we are in noodle space mm-hmm. and we're like cool cool we don't want to be in noodle space anymore we want to go to ocean space yeah and so the idea is whoever however we decide it works we are connecting noodle space to ocean space and folding the two together getting there yeah exactly well like i, I think there is your traveling there's a travel a okay. thought line like and that way, I think we can assess, like, sometimes there will be way closer routes, but they might be really dangerous. Yeah. It's like, well, there's a close route, but, like, literally we have to go through fire. Yeah. Like, this species relationship with fire, which isn't super positive or super negative, but, like, it can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Or we can go the long way and go through like love space because mm-hmm. both of these species love, love space. experience love but like it's elves and dwarves so like the love the way they view love is wildly wildly different um and hard to marry together therefore it takes a longer time and that might be a question of more fuel or whatnot um speaking of mm. now that we sort of have those foundational things um it's a question of how does the engine aboard uh, most ships and the star wall specifically work? You know, when we are trying to either build up resources uh, to get fuel or when we are like, uh, I don't know, like like trying to scrounge for things to get yeah. planet to planet. What are we after? Oh, that's really interesting because if we're going with this idea of collective consciousness and imagination and stuff like that i almost want to posit that are the ships that we sail on are they semi-sentient like is there some sort of Mm, like a psychic field is there some sort of like the ship itself has some sort of consciousness and this makes sense because didn't we decide that about our we we were we were all sort of leaning towards that concept originally anyway but this that makes a lot of sense now so that means it's either uh, the consciousness of a thing that lives that is lives in this kind of space and is and is versed in moving imagination to imagination or consciousness to consciousness that's a possibility uh and the idea is that to gain fuel you have to keep that particular thing happy 
but every ship could possibly want something different. Okay, okay, okay. Well, so there, I think that there are ships. I think they are powered by emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, you might have a joy engine. Mm-hmm. So you need joy mm-hmm. um, in order to fly. Uh, there have to be anger engines. There oh, have yeah. to be sadness engines. Like, that is just, you know, what what engine does your ship have is a big question, which comes to what engine does our ship have? And do we even know yet? And do we know? Right? I'll bet we don't know because we didn't know our ship was a ship. Right? Well, yeah. yeah. That's right. It was a thing that we plugged in and then it left. Mm-hmm. Which makes a lot of sense now, like looking at what we're making. Yeah. I don't know. Originally, we were talking about uh, having to give the ship a decent meal, like a, like a, a really good one. So You're right. Could be a satisfaction. Yeah. I know. Yeah. No, I like that because I like the idea of like the thing has to be satisfying. And sometimes we can't, we ourselves can't explain what is satisfying, but like, I'm thinking about all those TikTok videos of like the way someone paints a wall without like going over the border or like the way somebody power washes something and it's perfectly clean now. Things like that. Like you you can't always explain what is satisfying, but when you see it, you know, right? That's really interesting for a ship engine. I think most commercial ships use boredom engines. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> I think it is the safest and most reliable. Keep that ship bored yeah. so that you can get places. There will be no games on this cruise. There will be, there will be no dancing. <laughs> dancing is forbidden. Is that, a, is that a book? Give me your book. Thank you so much. No. Cru- like, fun time cruises, you have to be happy. And if you're not happy, they're like, why aren't you happy? This Be thing happy. isn't moving until you're happy. Go do what do you need? Line, yeah. Yeah. Making people enjoy them, forcing people to enjoy themselves in order to get home. That's perfect. Love it. Amazing. For a cruise cruise. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Um so now like kind of what is our life support like? Um and that that is a question of like is it all internal do we need to be enclosed in a bubble mm-hmm. or is the ship emitting some kind of like universal rule field where like air is just one of the one of the rules of our, our universe and home planet and therefore we have air it could very well be that that's just what it is like there's a particular mechanism that you know some some sort of engine or system or whatever that we're like hey we need this to survive and having the ship understand what we need, it becomes a symbiotic relationship between the ship and the crew. And so the ship can be like, cool, I will give you this if you give me that. Mm-hmm. And so there is some sort of symbiotic relationship between the two. Maybe? Yeah, like in, in uh, Slapjabber, um, Slapjabber. <laughs> you know, it had its own gravity field mm-hmm. that also held in air um so in you know i think in ours what i mean i think it's going to change from universe to universe and thought to thought but overall i like i think the ship just kind of knows what we need in that moment and keeps everything on and within the ship survivable so we are not and have never been hooked up to plumbing. Mm-hmm. The ship provides water 
because enough oh. contentment passed through the doors that like the faucets worked. That's that's amazing. That we never questioned that. No. Well, like we kept getting a water bill from the city. Yeah. And it was because it was just leaking. <laughs> Nothing connects, it's just water in the alleyway. That's really fascinating because that means that if you come across a different ship and they have a different life support system, the two might conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet someone has weaponized that. Yeah. And so, like, you could show up and be like, oh, we need air? Well, we need, you know... Methane. We need methane. Yeah. And so you, the two meet, and they, you know, weaponize that. That's interesting. Yeah. I, and it's also interesting because if we go into into space and the general rule of a particular system is stronger than the rule that we have, that also conflicts. Yeah, like I think we will um this this opens up bubble helmets mm -hmm. for us, you know, it's like probably something that you, you put on and it like gives you a little helmet or whatever, but like it reinforces the rules that you need to survive and yeah. it's like powered off of the ship's engine. Yeah. I love that. That's really interesting. Okay. Okay. All right, so we know um what life support is like uh the question that we have now is how long have beings been spacefaring? Like we were on Caldera, which is clearly this sort of cosmopolitan like creation of many different mm -hmm. uh, uh, universes and, and peoples that uh, like were spacefaring, mm -hmm. did travel through space. Um, and like it sort of seems because we're on just like a random asteroid or whatever – Either the planet that was there blew up mm -hmm. or there wasn't a planet. This is just like a fragment of space that has like this one planetoid thing and like you can colonize it rather than like wait for life to develop on it, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But like this is a place where spacefaring peoples have decided to settle. So how long has that been a thing? That's a really good question. I'm I'm curious because Mel, your character Ty, yeah, uh, their people have been around since the dawn of existence. Yep. So I guess the question is, how long have your people been spacefaring? Um, boy. And did the planet blow up first, or did you get space travel first? The planet blew up first. All right. Now yeah, we're talking. I don't know. I think. I think space travel should be well enough established that it's it's been around for a while. I kind of like the idea that so many people have done it that it's not as exciting to some like maybe maybe some people are jaded by space travel. They don't feel like they need to do it. It's just kind of like have car will travel. Mm. Mm. But for some people it's still like really exciting because not every planet has the same level of spacefaring. But the first instance of it, I don't yeah. know. I mean, do we want to quantify it in some way and be like, uh, X amount of years? Or is thousands it Thousands of years? Thousands? Hundreds of years? 100 years? I'm going to go hundreds. Okay. So hundreds of years. Long enough for several generations, many generations, to have improved ships over time and long enough for ships to have become 
like in in some areas a saturated market like there's definitely types of ships that you see way more often that are easier to get and then there's some ships that are old and classic and haven't been regulated yet kind of like cars in a way there's a lot of them but some of them are better some of them are easier to change parts out of some of them are sleek and boutique yeah yeah i dig that that's really interesting almost feel like Caldera then is like, it's kind of, it could very well be people's first stop. Uh, like if you become a, a spacefaring people, or like a spacefaring planet, the f- easiest one to get to is the one that has the most cosmopolitan consciousness. Oh yeah, because there are so many different people, there's got to be a connective node. I have, I have a pitch. Ooh, yes. Caldera is a section of a planet that was exceptionally rich in the materials that were used to make ships Mm -hmm. so much so to the point that it was mined down to this last piece of the planet okay that's really interesting oh you know what it could be it could be a mineral that changes that is not it's it's not it's not solid uh, in this, in the sense of not being solid, like it is mutable. So the idea is like you could look at it and think, like I need you to be wood, and it becomes wood, and then we build you build your ship out of that particular thing. And there's very little of it left, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for hundreds of years, that's what they built the ships out of was this mutable element that was. Is it the ships or the drives? Maybe it's the drives. Mm, yeah. And, and the, they like built drives. the drives out of these particular things. I'm thinking about, because they just talked about Pulitzer Prize in physics. Have you guys heard about? Yeah. yeah. Basically, basically the idea that like space is not real and nothing exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the thing is not a thing until it thinks, until you, you define what it is. And then the other thing becomes that because you defined the first thing. Like there is mutable until it is given a definition. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So now we know how our ship works. We know how space works. We we know how um, how long there have been spacefaring cultures and whatnot. Which uh, the the next things uh, that I have are questions about our ship. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is. Why was it grounded? When we meet our ship, it's being used as like a tenement building slash restaurant. Mm-hmm. It is not flying around. Why? That's a great question. Well, the original reason was it didn't have a helm. That's right. It do- it didn't have it. It currently doesn't have a helm. That's why it wasn't able to f- fly. Um, I guess like part of this is getting at the ship's past, like. When we take it back into space, if this is a ship that is famous or notorious um, in some way, like, you know, the, the, one of the concepts that we talked about initially with... with uh, uh, Did we decide who the landlord was other than the servant automaton? No. So the landlord is... I think either long dead or just hasn't been around in an extremely long time. And the automaton kind of acts in the landlord's place, constantly collecting rent for nothing. Just don't put it in its room. That means there's so much money. There's so much treasure in that particular room. Um, Either the owner 
who is MIA or deceased or the owner's parent probably had this ship Mm -hmm. and just kind of decided to retire, but they didn't want to leave where they were. So they just kind of like someone walked in and said, can I rent a room? And they're like, fuck it. Let's go. All right. So, yeah, I guess the, the, the question that comes down to me that I find the most interesting, does this ship harbor a valuable secret in there's something very special about its design or have a historic enemy? The person who owned this ship before it was turned into our building and restaurant, they lived a wild life. And when the ship is back out there, old enemies are going to start to come to the fore. Yeah, I mean, that's what makes it interesting in my brain is that as if the ship has a reputation that we now have that we are now associated with that reputation. So it could be it could have been a pirate ship Mm -hmm. that, you know, the captain placed it here to hide it um, and put the automaton there to guard it. And the automaton just started to rent rooms. Yeah. Like, it could be that, it could be that it, it's like, the ship is a treasure map. Like, it's, it's, it's less of a, you know, it came from a place and it is trying to get back there. Like, it could be any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I mean, there's, there's a million different ways about it, but I, I mean, famously, we like pirates in this house. We do like <laughs> pirates. We do, we do have a pirate flag. Yeah. Okay, okay, so uh, this ship has some kind of wild reputation. I, I think we can leave that vague for, for right now. We'll, we'll figure it out. It was grounded po- probably either to duck or dodge this reputation or because whoever owned it intended to come back for it at some point and mm-hmm. just never did and left their uh, automaton on rent collection mode. Um, how long has it been since it last flew? I I love the idea that it's been around for like 175, 200 years. I was going to say, least, it has to be at least a bit longer than any of us have lived here. Oh, sure. Like by, by a considerable amount. Yeah. I, I would, yeah, like I'd say 175 to 200 years. Like that's a long enough time that it's just become a part of the landscape. Absolutely. Things got built around it. Over it, on it. Boy, we must have messed a lot of stuff up when oh, we took yes. off. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of property damage. <laughs> well, I probably have insurance, right? I mean, you know, when we go back there, maybe it won't be a problem anymore. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Um, so the the next thing um, is like moving on from from the our ship things. I've got threats. The, the first question, uh, we, we've addressed this a little bit. What makes space travel or faster than light travel dangerous? And I think part of it is like, it is possible as you go through these like connective pieces of imagination and whatnot mm-hmm. for things to leak through whatever whatever shield is on your ship like mm-hmm. if you go through darkness space like some darkness could leak in if your shield isn't like powered well enough or whatever or some darkness 
creatures could could leak in. Like all of a sudden, you're dealing with shadow monsters um, if your shield is like really really weak. Um, so. Like, I think you need a lot of power in order to protect your ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to be careful about, like, what can possibly, how it can impose itself on you. Because I think if everybody, if you're going through darkness and everybody is afraid of the dark, mm-hmm. then I think, like, well, it's exponential. Like, you're, you're, you're creating, yeah. you're making the problem you're worse, worse as you're experiencing mm-hmm. it. That's so good. Nailed it. <laughs> So, like, it's both your route and how much power you have, and part your your route is partially determined by how you can connect one thing or one idea to another. You know, that's that's super interesting because that will mean that, like, if if our <laughs> if the ship. Or the person who is running the ship cannot make the cognitive leap to understand the next place. We have to go to one that they can understand. And right oh. now, that that person is Sack. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to gamer space. <laughs> I hate gamer space. <laughs> no. Oh, it's gonna be a trial. Sick. That's really sick. Yeah. This is fun. This is like weird but fun and also challenging it's a lot of like it's a lot of mental gymnastics to like which is cool it was very very cool yeah and like i i love the idea that we need shields to buffer against the other ideas that like hit the ship yeah because yeah. if we do enter a place where our shields are low and it's like oh it's it's fire, and the ship goes. Oh, okay, we need fire then. Yeah, because the shields are not keeping it at bay. So that's well, super. And it's like, too. what is, does fire mean to you if you're going through fire space, and everybody is just thinking about campfires? Yeah, that's not a big deal because like or it's candles, warm yeah. and yeah, light and whatnot. But if everybody's thinking of like fire, <laughs> an like, inferno. All of a sudden, the ideas that you're trying to shield out are so much more dangerous mm-hmm. and intense. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. super cool. Uh, okay, okay. So so that's what makes it dangerous. That's how we can get to monsters. I think it is also possible for monsters to simply be ejected from these like kind of primal tunnels between space like, yeah. yeah a fire monster can just like literally meteor down from the sky oh yeah into a planet because it's like just this crazy thing that was made through connective thought yeah like connective thought and fear and like mistrust and hate and like all those things can get like caught do you, do you think the intensity of, or the even just pre- predicting the appearance of these monsters depends on the intensity of your relationship with that thought or feeling? I'll bet I'll bet it is a little bit of a reflection of you, uh, and I, I would also like the idea for it to be like able to external things can be mixed into that soup. Like mm. you might run into a nightmare conceived by. Uh, a planet that you've never visited before, but just happens to be out there wafting in darkness space, you know? But but the personal, like, 
darkness monsters that you imagined, like like the creepy shadow that the tree outside your window cast on the wall uh, when you were growing up. That thing lives in the shadow space. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's, That's super interesting. No wonder they try to keep those ships as boring as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boredom is just like a very powerful, reliable. I bet they don't even put windows on them. They just just keep everybody calm, possibly sedated. Yeah, (laughs) watching paint dry. Um. So the next uh, threats question is: What groups of dangerous people travel through space? Oh gosh, that's so interesting. So, Drew, when you talked about the idea of using the life support system and, like, projecting the life support system as kind of a weapon, I thought a lot about the idea of colonization and, like, how damaging a species that is like, let's travel from our planet, go to another planet, and impose our needs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, there is at least one space empire that they are trying to terraform worlds to support themselves. And like, that's a lot of toxic ideas yeah. that they just like blast at you. Oh man, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. There has to be one of those. I almost feel like they, like the civilization travels in mass from place to place. So you have like billions of people arriving on in your system, and oh, geez. Like, their like, their like collective a, like a Borg cube. Yeah, like they show up, and their collective, for lack of a better, better term, nationalism. Yeah, uh, is what begins to take over your system because there's so many of them, and that's how they're like attacking you, and like they're probably rating especially if whatever material is used to create these engines these emotion drives is difficult to come by Mm -hmm. they probably have like a maybe not exactly piracy because it's like you know this weird empirical domination but like they're attacking other ships so that they can get their drives so that they can keep building up this army yeah it's a manifest destiny literally (laughs) what do we what emotion do we think powers there oh i think it's pride pride drives nailed it that you know it's funny because i was thinking about this a little while ago i was watching an isekai uh isekai anime and i thought to myself is isekai colonialism uh because they're taking someone from our world and putting them in a new world and the ideas of that person from our world infect the world that they go to. Oh. Because I was watching one, it was like, what about a pharmacist? There's like a doctor who dies and gets reincarnated in an Isekai and all of his ideas from being a doctor show up in this world. And they're like, oh, we've never thought of that before. And I was like, oh man, is that, that's interesting. That uh, I think, like, yeah, that that gets at a very interesting philosophical question that maybe I'm not uh, equipped to handle. I don't think I am either. But yeah. it was one of those things. I was like, that's interesting. I don't think I can go any further with that question. <laughs> the one thing that would occur to me is you, they're sharing thoughts, but they're not bringing more people and taking over the space, and they're not forcing it to become something that that only they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would take it all the way to colonialism. 
Um, I think it could be a useful, like, a useful thing for a metaphor for colonialism if you mm. wanted to venture down that path. Yeah. I feel like it is possible. So we have a, a big empire. So yeah, there is an empire. They are projecting their needs for life and their drives are powered by pride. Mm-hmm. That's really cool um, and makes a lot of sense. I kind of think that this is now getting into an area uh, that the, the we sort of need to answer the question of what is hell and what are demons? Uh, it's really important to answer that question for me. Yeah, for you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so part part of it is because the idea of like the connective tissues of space and space being imagination, mm-hmm. like there's probably an idea that like you kind of grow your own devils in, in your like sea monkeys like they're just out there in space like this collection of space like in a lot of places maybe hell is just a planet you know mm-hmm. that's that's in the solar system because it's an idea that everybody's come up with yeah so I, I like that and I like the idea of because we've said monsters can emerge like why not the, the concept of like demons and devils that people have invented in these like connective tubes yeah. coming out of them. And so then you run the risk of having to face other people's nightmares and demons. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and they, and also if they are. Sorry. Just discovered how to play peekaboo. They're covering up my face. And then pulling it down and laughing. And this is the first time they've done this. So I. You heard it here breaking first. Breaking news folks. Project Falcon has discovered Peekaboo. I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, correction. Project Falcon has invented Peekaboo. Cool. Um, yeah. So, like, if, if it is a sapient being that emerges, it can then insist on itself yeah. and build its own sort of legend and idea. And I like the idea that the demons that uh, Sack serves and is working with are Mm -hmm. like probably initially a lot of the big battles that were fought in space were against evil like just the The concept the concept concept of evil and like i kind of think we won we beat it we beat evil and so the demons that are left over are not like the cruelest beings they're like Okay, well, if evil is going to continue as a thing that people do in a concept, we have to reshape ourselves into something that people can tolerate. So low key, low key. And like maybe there are arc demons that are like, yes, I am the embodiment of like murder and whatever. But like, I'm not I'm just trying to avoid escalating tensions between me and the mortal world. So I'm not making huge moves. Or if I am, they're like six-dimensional chess, long way out. But all the imps and whatnot are just little troublemakers. Yeah, petty, petty evils. Yeah, yeah. So, like, evil has really tried to make itself banal. Like, I I, I think that is is almost It's as insidious as, as, like... Big evil. Yeah. Capital E. But it explains why, you know, there isn't this massive hell dimension army constantly roving around the place. It's like, we already beat that. Yeah. We know they can't win that way, so they got to change things up. And that's that's really cool, because that, that's a historical pinpoint we can put at and be like, you know, the war against evil. Yeah. Yeah. That that's we won. Great. That we won. 
that's really interesting. So yeah, so empire, uh, the collective sense of of demons and evil. Uh, that's fun. That's super fun. Yeah. And I think they still want souls in hell, and they want oh. your soul because they want you to think up new cool evil stuff yeah. for them to like like hell does look like a metal album mm-hmm. and it's because they've worked really hard to curate yes, an aesthetic with, yes. and they're like constantly going we gotta get creative people so to good. make this place a cooler thing that stays in the consciousness that's really interesting so like what we've circled around to doing space Disney again um, <laughs> Well, I like the idea that we're playing with of ideas, but I like the idea that you're tapping into right now, James, that um, that the imagination and the nightmares and everything and the creativity of other people is what fuels the demons and therefore probably any deities or gods that are out there. Um, that's a concept I really like in fiction, like Neil Gaiman plays with that a lot. And I've always really liked the idea that things exist because we believe in them or things have power because we put power into them. And so I like the idea that, that we're playing with that in space travel, which I don't think I've ever heard of anyone heard doing that. That's really, that's really neat. I feel like we need a third threat. We need, we've had, we have two. I feel like we need a third. Yeah. To f- roll to round out that rule of three. Is it as simple as if you are not careful, and I'm keeping it vague because I'm interested to see what you have to say about this. Is it that if you are not careful, maybe if you don't have the right ship or the right tools or the right crew or the right training, that uh, an extensive amount of space travel can cause you to no longer be able to differentiate between what's actually happening to you and like, is there some sort of break that could that could happen, or is it that lost sailors type thing? That like you stay right you stay in that mental thing. space, I, or you stay in that dream or nightmare? This picks up on something really important and interesting because I was like thinking about the routes and like connecting one idea to another. Like you can connect ideas on pretty shaky ground. Yeah. Um, and like there has to be a reason that you you don't just do that um that you would go like well i got a plot from this point to this point to this point i got to i got to start at bird seed to eventually get to popcorn mm-hmm. like um because otherwise there's this this thing and i i think like the mental power that you need to exert as a pilot to connect two ideas like yeah. The more points in the connection, I think the longer your trip has to be through whatever spaces you're you're connecting. Um, and the I, I feel like it's less of a power draw to make like shorter logical leaps, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can push yourself, but like the danger. I think the danger might be like that is the easiest way for things to leak onto the ship. Like, yeah, if you're if you're um, what what you might call if your life support system isn't 
receiving enough power, you're not shielding it. Yeah. But if you're mentally straining yourself to connect two ideas that are really incompatible, like to get from point A to point B, then your brain starts pouring out into the area around the ship. And that can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Could be like, like dissociating. You just kind of get lost in your head. I was also thinking about like, I was thinking about like that, but I was also thinking about like, um, like when you have a dream that's so like, so irrational, but so vivid, like, you know, here in your brain that there's no way this isn't a dream. But while you're in it and feeling it, it still feels so real, that kind of a thing. But I was also thinking about the fact that we got up at 4.30 this morning to drive back to Chicago from Ohio. And I we were both very tired and stayed awake the whole time. And <laughs> that last stretch of the trip, Drew and I were trying to talk to each other to like keep keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and Drew was like, "Well, I I can't put music on. I need to talk." And I was like, "Cool." And I was like delirious, right? I was on the I was I was falling asleep while I was nodding and going, "Right, of course, yes." Um, so I had to like think of things to say that I was going to be able to respond to that would also keep Drew talking and awake. And we ended up talking about stuff for this, but also um, uh, uh, like I was like, "Okay, so tell me about." modules in D&D and why they're bad. And he was like, great. And then he just launched, right? So I had to find something that could allow him to talk at length that I could respond to, even though I was, my brain was physically shutting the body down, like systematically. I could feel my, like my lids were shutting all of it. And I was on the verge of being unconscious, but I had to keep myself awake and I had to keep Drew awake. So what I'm thinking about is like that mental strain, right, James, that mm-hmm. like you can get to a point like and some people are very well trained in this. And so they have the stamina to do multiple things at once and to keep their body and their brain and their imagination going for longer or whatever, um, or to make those shorter jumps and it doesn't suck as much power out of them or whatever. And then there's people who are amateurs and they're not good at that. And it strains them so greatly that they end up falling into this like like Douglas Adams ass logic where they can't get out. I do think like as with what Mel said with dissociating of like not being in the place that you are and having mm-hmm. this this sense of self and identity, I do think you can just get lost mm-hmm. in the in-between spaces and like start moving around in circles. Um perhaps you can also become thrall to whatever paths you're walking down. Like what emerges is tomato sauce. Like if you were taking tomato sauce to get from one place to another, like suddenly you are not really yourself. And maybe that's how some gods or demigods emerged is Mm. just like, a place got invested and imposed over a being or a concept got imposed over a being. And that being just like kind of lived out according to the domains of whatever space they were traveling in between. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like, yeah, you, you can, you can become thrall to concepts or you can get eternally lost both being. I think it's also interesting that it raises the question of what is sleep like? Like, do you sleep? Like, what happens when you go to sleep and you are in the dark or in a strongly invested emotional and uh, a mental space and now your brain is completely unfettered it's not being disciplined 
It's now just running wild. I was going to say, what if we enable a concept that you don't dream in space? Like you, you don't. Oh, that's really like the, the body and the mind have found a way to protect themselves in that most vulnerable spi- space that like you cannot dream or have nightmares while you are sleeping in space. I think there are some people that that do. do. That's why I'm saying if we make this blanket statement and then we have the idea that some people do, can and, and do. And then it's, it's the dreamers that are the ones that like they, their whole consciousness just off the top of my head, take over a ship. And so now everyone else on that ship is thralled to this one sleeper. Hmm. who is in a constant dream uh and the ship morphs and changes until it's like its own it's 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 almost its own like uh like skeleton ship basically at that point it's a ghost ship that now goes from place to place fulfilling the dream of this one person and it snowballs and it, it snowballs. continues to and maybe it will grab another another ship and another ship until it's becoming like a fleet of ghost ships, basically. I'm right down dreamers and ghost ships. So if we had the blanket statement of you, you don't dream in space. Like for some, like for most people, their brains are like, they don't, they're not compatible. I mean, and you can even, we can even spin it that like everybody, it, it's like, there's nothing outside the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously there's something outside the wall, but like it, everybody agrees to say nobody dreams in space. That's a blanket statement. Everybody everybody understands this concept and believes it. But if you talk to anybody who's done extensive space travel, they'll tell you, especially over a drink, oh, some people do. And it's bad when it happens. So you better be damn sure. So it's not pirates, but it is, or yeah. raiders, but it is this like... Dreams, like yeah. nightmares. Like yeah. nightmares. It's in that particular person who is the core of it, the dreamer inside of that yeah i I think uh, probably the way that it happens most often is when you get lost when you dissociate Mm -hmm. lose your sense of self yeah like kind of what emerges from that uh eventually is like one of these dreamers but like perhaps there are like you know lucid dreamers people who figure out that they have the ability to dream and control dreams and like that's how some different people like imagine themselves warlords and emperors. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Okay. Okay. So we've got that down pretty pat. Like that. those are the, and that's on top of like normal stuff. Yeah. Like sure. There are planets and civilizations that like, you know, they're not as as powerful as like this this Borg level pride drive uh, uh, people. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, there are people who are like trying to take up space and yeah. get resources and whatnot. I imagine there's there are storms. There's you know emotion storms that roll through pathways and like stuff like that. Like there's obviously natural problems to get around as well but. yeah big collective anxieties and whatnot that yeah. roll through different spaces you know calling on a phone yeah it's a storm that's just like makes you have to call someone yeah. um so that that is those are the questions that i had um however uh both mel and ali and drew have like come up with new information about their characters and whatnot that i just love to, to have yeah, I think down we should, in we front should of get people. into it yeah 
What? I just, up? I know that you're next and I know you're going to say some weird shit and I'm going to sigh a lot. <laughs> wow. What an incredible burn. <laughs> I didn't say, I didn't say that for your Get thing. roasted, James. Wow. Diving back in, uh, the next thing that we need to cover is just uh, the the stuff that everybody came up with kind of independently to make sure that we're sharing it around. Who wants to go first? Well, James is looking directly at me, so I, I guess I'll directly now. <laughs> yeah, this was very confrontational. I wasn't expecting that, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, Mel, uh, you did your backstorying first, I think. Yeah. So let's hear about Ty. Um, origin story. So we we hinted at the fact that Ty is part of the oldest species in the galaxy. It goes all the way back to the formation of the galaxy uh, and a planet or planetoid or something exploding. And the stuff that makes goop beings uh, was spread across the universe and probably further than we even know. Um, but uh, I'd say a, a large grouping of it formed a planet, and on that planet, it became the homeworld of the Goop people. Uh, name TBD. We'll come up with that later. Gooptopia. Gooptopia. <laughs> I like just TBD. TBD. Like... TBD. The, the planet's name is TBD. Um, TBD. Tibidi. Oh, that's good. Okay. Um, anyway, we're we're kind of floating in goop people right now. Uh, Ty was born. So uh, we can go into the biology of goop people later. But um, so on that planet, goop people, uh, you know, procreate. They have kids. They, you know, essentially function like most other beings. Um, but at a certain point, the kids have the option to either stay and continue families and live there, or um, they can travel and search for pieces of the original planet that exploded at the beginning of the universe. It is something to pursue. Not many people find pieces of that original planet. It is not common. It was rather big, so there's a lot of stuff sometimes it's just dust that they find the connection with but uh they go out in search of a piece of that portion of their history and if they find it it empowers them in different ways in particular ty is i guess what we would consider a paladin but we can come up with a different name for that but they find already have have, did i yeah i don't remember keep talking and you're gonna stumble on it i guarantee or was it the keeper of the vibe or something? Yeah. That, I thought that was w- what we called the oath. I didn't remember that if it w- that we like replaced. Well, yeah, I mean. All right. I, yeah. Anyway, so the portions of the original planet um, where I don't. How do you talk about the the ohm? I don't remember. So like uh, for for 
the folks that don't know in, in real life, uh, the idea of an ohm in meditation, ohm is like kind of the sound that created the universe. And when folks who meditate this way are meditating and, and you know, going the ohm, they are trying to harmonize with that sound that created the universe or like that is the that is the idea behind that that approach to meditation that's right thank you um so the goop people are the keeper of the vibe they make sure they they guard and always strive to connect with the vibe of the universe, which is much like what we call the ohm. It is a tone, it is a song, it is whatever they hear it as, but they must connect with it in order to feel harmony. They connect with it on the planet they currently live on, or they can travel and find their own way to connect to the vibe. Um, Ty in particular found a really large chunk of the original planet um, Allie, did you re- did you jive with that story I came up with on how we met? Uh, yeah, so Mel had had this concept that um, the the way Ty and Petey first crossed paths was Ty found a chunk of the planet uh, being used as a doorstop and a pawn shop on some planet, mm-hmm. and roped Petey into being the muscle to liberate said space rock from its post. Yeah, because if a, if a goo person walks into a pawn store and, and places value on a rock, they're going to be like, oh, you're looking for this, huh? This yeah. is special to you? I want a million dollars. I was going to say, based on that knowledge, is it is it pretty well known that goop people are out looking for rocks? Or is it less common? I'd say it's less common. I think that anyone who knows what things have value in the universe is going to kind of know. Sure. One of the uh, touch points that we, we like when we were discussing like how this all worked was, was Rumspringa with, with like Amish folks. Mm -hmm. And I think it works the same way. It's like, not everyone knows what the concept of Rumspringa is, but like, if you know, you know, know, and you like have to learn a little bit about, Amish society and beliefs in order to understand that. So it's like, you got to invest the same energy in the goo people to like know about, oh uh, yeah, some of them as a coming of age thing or whatever are looking for rocks. And I love this, Mel, mm. because when we get into PD, you're going to see how those two threads cross. Mm. Unintentionally, for of course. Shadow. But I, I do think... Yes, I think that that's how we cross paths for the first time um, in, a, in a literal sense. I think that there is room for maybe Ty had seen Petey around that area for a while or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think that there's room for us to be like, oh, yeah, I remember you used to go to that cafe on the corner all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's room for us to add or remove as needed. But I think that that was the first time that we worked together. Mm. Um, and we can talk later if you want about how Ty convinced PD to say yes to this gambit mm-hmm. and why, because I think that's something we should figure out later. But I definitely yeah. think that is the first time we worked together Okay, uh, because PD absolutely was able to convince the shopkeeper that the rock did not need to stay there. I have a question. Yeah. About Uzites or Uzites. Ooh, that's pretty good. Uh, 
if there are a hundred of them, mm-hmm. how many of that hundred are out wandering like space? Oh, I think there's plenty that wander and return home. Okay. There's plenty that will wander, return home, and then wander again. Like people that kind of come and Back go. And and stuff like that. Um, but there aren't very many that leave and don't really go back like they might go back now and then so how many of those are like the errants who are looking for like i'd say one or two out of a hundred more two out of 100 because like at at this point it's been hundreds if not thousands of years since you know the beginning of the universe and um maybe even millions at this point it feels like well they've probably found everything there is to find or like it's it's so rare to Mm -hmm. find a piece of that original planet it feels like a fool's errand are they trying to put it back together with ooze no they kind of it's a thing they they keep it inside of their goo and they they hold it and it helps promote their connection to the vibe Uh, i was gonna ask i was gonna ask if knowing that the planet exploded and that some of it is just dust do they whether like in a cultural social sense believe or in like a true religious sense believe that they can acquire all of the pieces since matter can neither be created nor destroyed i think that there is a sect of uh, what's the word you use uzites that's fine i i think there is a sect of Uzites that believe that we could rebuild the original planet, but... Is it more just a matter of we want to have the pieces of our homeworld? Exactly, yeah. It's it's kind of, it's more of a cultural thing, but I, yeah, I'm sure there's some crazies out there that are just like, let's rebuild it. <laughs> we have enough for so, like a moon. <laughs> make the rock great again. Woof. Woof. <laughs> On that, like, if they're trying to rebuild the planet, that means any vibe keeper that they convince to contribute to that or, like, have their fragment piece be contributed to that, like, that reduces the overall number of vibe keepers in in circulation because their dust is being used elsewhere. And it's, it's clear who has found dust and returned it. By by voluntarily removing it from their body, because when the dust leaves you, you change color. Mm. Cool. I love that because there's a uh, there's a lot of sound resonance, like with your people. It sounds like mm-hmm. very it's musical, very musical, very like lots of bards. <laughs> so many bards. A lot of like rippling and mm. sound, and that's very cool. I like that. That's very cool. Um, I think it has to be Allie. Yeah. Okay. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, As you know, I chose to play, when we were going to do Spam Hammer, I was choosing to play GIF because I have recently acquired a deep and abiding love for hippos. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact, literally in the ancient Greek, it means water horse, Mm -hmm. river horse. Giant, fat cat. (laughs) Big, wet Flappy Very cat. Bad breed. Bad breed. Terrible breed. Awful. Moist. Um, hippos are great. And I was not super into the idea of the GIF being a weird cartoon of British colonialism. And I, I'm, I'm still unclear on where that comes from in Spam Hammer. Like, like who, who decided? Uh, but I love the idea of big hippo people. And anyone who's watched Moon Knight will also agree. Big hippo lady good. Um, So Drew and I talked about 
what Petey's planet is like and what the people who live there are like. And I'm thrilled to present to you. I wish I had a slideshow because I'm very <laughs> excited about this. Uh, Petronella Genovet Annapolis Capaldi Drusa is part of a race of people called the Potomai. The Potomai are a large hippo-like people um, who live on a planet called Nariteru, which means the river of all rivers. This is a planet that is all river deltas. Cool. Uh, there are jungles. There are, you know, plains and deltas and different aspects of being riverside. But and there's different depths to the river and different like sub uh, ecosystems within the river. But the idea is that this is a planet that doesn't have like full continents and oceans. It is all one river. Cool. So the Potomi are not the only race, the only intelligent race, sentient race that live on Nariteru. There are other races um, that have other animal river analogs that we'll get to in a second. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yes. That I just thought of. Is it a ring world? Maybe it is. Cool. So the river is just on the ring. It's either that, like the, the, how I was trying to justify it in my head is that there's a, a moon mm. and like that pulls the water. So like what would normally be the tides is just it's just the moon stirring up the rivers. Mm -hmm. Either way, I'm something just something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So the idea is that the planet is uh, by virtue of the river. Uh, being present, very lush and green and brown and muddy and a wealth of resources, basically, and flourishing life of all mm -hmm. kinds. Um, animals, plants, insects, everything. Um, the Potomi are a force of peaceful strength. They are sort of the embodiment of with great power comes great responsibility. Since their jaws could snap a man in half, but they, they have a lot of... Um, like sort of quiet strength about them uh, rather than the, the sort of militant idea that we were, that was coming from spam hammer. Um, so the idea that drew helped come up with is that once uh, outsiders from beyond the stars came to Nariteru and warned the people, the Potomi and the other races of a, a coming cataclysm that a local star was going to explode or something and it was going to cause everything to fall apart and all of the, the the resources that they had were going to dry up and these people from beyond the stars said this happened to us we know how to help you prepare um to fix it and so they set about welcoming these people in and setting them up and going through all of like the the ecosystems right here in, in river, river city. city thank you thank you drew um and of course, it turns out that the cataclysm was a lie and the outsiders were there to mine the resources and ship them off world. And they just cheated the simple river folk out of their, their riches. So naturally, the Potomi and the other races who were previously not globalized, they weren't like sort of united. They were all individual. They united and they booted the colonizers off the planet so hard that Everyone beyond Nariteru thinks that uh, the planet was wiped out, basically, and like a blasted heath of war and, and suffering. So outside of Nariteru, everybody's idea of what this planet is, is it used to be this beautiful oasis. And now they are just the remnants of a, a warlike people who, who tore themselves apart to save their planet at what cost. 
um, once they had booted the colonizers out, they unified and like restored peace on their world. But part of what they agreed to do, the, the races of the river people, was they would send Potomy into space as mercenaries and hired guns and like soldiers to continue this idea that there are no resources here. It's gone. It's all gone. We have left our home to find other employment beyond the stars because there's nothing left at home for us in order to protect the natural wonder of their home. So for Petey, that means that she trained really, really hard to become one of these warriors to leave the planet. And so part of it, part of her job is to be as violent and as brutal and unforgiving as possible so that people who encounter her will go, man, the potomy really are not to be messed with. And thank goodness the rest of their planet got wiped out because can you imagine if they had expanded their empire? When in reality, it's paradise and she can never go home unless she's called home. But some people never are. Now, the fun part about this is that... Uh, the potomy culture is based on two tenets. Mm-hmm. Service is the highest nobility of all, and there are no peasants. Ooh. Every potomy family, every potomy group is a noble house, and there are no servants, so they serve each other. They are constantly clambering socially over one another to provide the greatest service to their community. That's great. That's great. So, example, Lady Whippledown has uh, called a ball. Before invitations are sent out, uh, offers are brought into Whippledown House, and they're like, please let me cook for you. Please, please let me be the valet. Please, please me, I beg me, you. Let me be the butler for you, please. And so, and, and or, you know, we've gone to a dinner at Lord So-and-So's house, and they're like, where is Lady Whippledown? And he says, ah, oh, Lady Whippledown will be late this evening. And then later, Lady Whippledown arrives late to the party, and they're like, the dinner was beautiful. You did such a good job. Thank you so much for cooking. Like, So it's this idea that the oasis of Naruteru is so plentiful that there are literally no peasants. Yeah, Everyone has more than enough, so they're always bending over backwards to give each other presents and be the most thoughtful and the most service-minded to each other and to the greater community of the planet at large. Really fun. Like everyone's everyone's competing over the spot to be the person who helps clean up at the end of the party. Yes. yes. People literally have to be ejected from the premises in order to narrow that field down. Um, Mel. Uh, I was just going to say, sorry, popped into my head. Um, when we talk about our characters, should we also say what type of space surrounds our planet? Great question. Ooh. I do have an answer for that already. Uh, the the space that surrounds Nariteru feels like sailing a river. You can see space ripple away from the edges of your ship like you're on a boat, um, like punting, right? And I also think, and I, I think you'll like this, Drew, I think that there is a, a formation in orbit around this planet that formed after that cataclysm um, called the Wall of Reeds. And to outsiders coming towards the planet, it feels kind of like navigating an asteroid field that you didn't know was there. But like reeds on a river, a big river, 
if you're not from there, it's almost impossible to navigate through them. Ooh, yeah. It's constantly changing and like your vision of what you're seeing shifts because of camouflage and things like that. What movie was that? So like you can't really see through it and you it's real it's impossible to map. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Yeah, like exactly, like the bamboo forest in Shang-Chi. Yep. That's great. Yeah. So I think that they the people of Nanisheru formed that into orbit when they decided, all right, no more outsiders. No more mm. boat riders. You know. That's radical. Swimmers only. No more no more boat riders, right? So that they've they've created this idea of we are strong, we are protected, we don't we will trash you. Do not come any closer. But on the inside it's this idyllic paradise where they're throwing picnics for each other and like uh their houses are like these big beautiful mansions built on the river where you can just step down the steps and slide into the water and like enjoy your life so the potomy are i wouldn't say that they're the main group on the planet i think that there's a couple other groups that they see as equals but everybody has like a specific job that they do or a series of jobs that they do potomy's job is to go to space and be the enforcers of this illusion that they've projected um but i have three other ideas for for races that i would love to know y'all's thoughts on okay um i think that there should be crocodile people sure crocodile gator people Mm -hmm. (laughs) there should be froggy people yeah Mm -hmm. something small Right. Something that can't go to space. Like like a tree frog kind of. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about like in in Spam Hammer, like Grung, like like small, froggy, amphibious type creature people that have jobs and like do like uh, provide a service to the greater community. But if we send them to space, everyone's going to know they can squish them. The potomy, like that's what we want. to Not squishable. Yeah. Least squishable. I'm picturing Kermit's the frog. Kermit's yeah. comma yeah. the frog. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like I literally the Kermitians. Yeah, yeah. Banjo frogs hanging Banjo out there. Banjo frogs <laughs> just, just sitting in their swamps, singing about all the cool stuff that they see. Kermitians. Um, I think we gotta have some otter people. Oh, yep, 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 yep. And you know what's great about the otter people? Chuck. Jug bands, jug bands and <laughs> jug bands and holding hands. They they Sorry. they constantly are they're nomadic, so they're constantly mm. traveling up and down river, which yep. makes them great oh. for doing what? Carrying the mail. Carrying the mail. Oh. Love that. Absolutely love that. But they do hold hands, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we need a name for the otter people and the the gator croc people, um, and then I'm open to like a fourth additional river-based race. I thought about doing like a bird people, but I think there there are birds. They're just not like a sentient race. Mm. I think they're they're hangabout symbiotes, you know? Because hippos and birds get along really well. True. So I think they're there. I think they just hang around. I don't think that they're like an organized intelligence. Okay. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Lutra is the the Latin for otter. Lutra? Yeah. L-U-T-R-A. I know this because I read Redwall, The Pearls of Lutra. Okay. Mm. What about like catfish people? Fish people. Okay, now we're talking. We got fish, fishy people. Yeah, because that's, because I think the froggy people could be open to also like potentially like salamandry, like mudskippery types. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's room for all of that. Axolotls. Yeah, gotta have those. Yeah, you gotta have. They got the 
the beards, yeah. the the mane, the little frills. Little, little frills. frills. I love them. They're so cute. Very difficult to keep, though. But they're those are those are amphibians, right? So they can be. Yeah. So those can be. I don't think they go on the land. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then. Oh, they're all. probably the underwater folks. They probably they they live in the deeper parts. The, the, the catfish, people. catfish people. Yeah. I think there's a whole uh, there. There's room for a whole smattering of people, but I like that these are like the main ones that you're starting out with. It's closely related to the tiger salamander. Question. Yes. How does this all connect to Ty? Uh, yeah, you you sort of the set thing up I like- was saying. The thing I was thinking with that regard is that um, so as the potomy are all nobility, all of them. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Um, and service is the most noble thing of all. The potomy that go to space to be these mercenaries and adventurers and and what have you, it's like the inverse of Rumspringa. They don't ever get to go home unless yeah. they're asked home uh, for a reason. Um, because it would be kind of like the height of rudeness. Somebody's made this tremendous sacrifice yes. to leave the home. Like, to call them back is just like they're living. They're doing the best. And there has to be a, there has to be a reason for it. Yeah. Like, the, what, I mean, what sh- task could be greater than keeping our planet safe? Right, right. And and knowing that the people who have stayed behind are enjoying the best life they possibly could. Yeah. Because you have sacrificed to go to space. Yeah. So, in a way, I see parallels here between Petey can't go home, Ty can't really go home. Ty is seeking pieces of home out in external places. Petey is preventing anybody from seeking pieces of home. Um, and then also the idea that like you're on this rumspringa for Uzites. To- well, an important thing, they've succeeded. That's 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 key is they found the planet piece. Now they are a vibe keeper, mm. which having this fragment of the home world like makes them more responsible for keeping harmony within the universe. Right. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of parallels here is what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And that Ty is, for Petey, like a huge piece of that balance, that concept of I can never go home, but I have a reason to be here because of Ty. And it makes sense that you two started adventuring together and like were closest to one another in this party that you were adventuring in before. Yeah. I also have a lot of feelings about the fact that PD just want like is so tired and so over the outs like totally thought it was gonna be better out here. It's not. Home is much better. Really wish I could go back to that hot tub right now. Um and it's really sad because Ty is the person that PD cares for most in the universe. And PD can't tell Ty that home is paradise oh, wow. and can't yeah. show you and can't bring you there. And I think there's a reason I haven't decided what it is, but Ty hasn't returned home since finding this piece. And usually they do something like at least report back, you know, saying, Hey, I found it. I, everything's great. And maybe they'll come back and visit, but Ty hasn't chosen to do that yet. And I don't know why. Yeah. So there's a lot of really interesting things kind of joined up there. Um, and I also think that there's something to be said about the vibe and like the sound and the fact that PD's planet is a big river. 
and the sound that that river makes as it moves through the cosmos being kind of reflections. You know what I mean? Do you think Ty secretly knows that the planet is there and just chooses not to discuss it with Petey? So I think, I think, you know, the planet's there. Mm. I think people know that the planet exists because new potomy go to space all the time. Yeah. But the thing to know is that it's a nice place instead of a blasted, instead of a blasted rock left over from a war to end all wars. I think, I think Ty has a suspicion because, because they hear the vibe. I think if we ever got close enough, you would be like, I think, I think it makes sense that you probably know PD isn't telling you something. Mm -hmm. I haven't told you the truth. Yeah. And I don't like to talk about it. Um, <laughs> always changes the subject. Always changes the yeah. subject. Whenever, it but comes I up. also think that because um, it is it. New Potomy go to space all the time, but we almost never run across them, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Mm. We like it's very unlikely that we'd walk into a bar and see a whole squad of them hanging out. Um, and I don't think that in the entire time that Petey and Ty have been adventuring together, I don't think we've ever met another Potomy. So you wouldn't you wouldn't know what that interaction would look like yet, but I do think that when PD is really sad, like really sad or really worn out, that she does weird things. Like there's something about like a jar of muddy water and sticking her face in it, and like like things, weird smells and like weird texture things that you've noticed about her. Um, that she does to self-soothe. But it's like real, it's, that's like the last resort. You know what I mean? Do you think since Ty doesn't really need to bathe that there is a bathroom and the bathtub is just filled with mud? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And there's like moss growing on the tiles and like, we will never tell the landlord. It is a powerful steamy situation in there. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This like weird oasis yes. she's built. I don't know if you have an ensuite. I don't know if you have a bathroom in your unit. Oh, one of the bathrooms. One of the bathrooms. One of the bathrooms. Yeah. I have commandeered and it's, turned it into this. Maybe it's one that's like in a weird spot and nobody suspects it's a bathroom. I think and found a secret bathroom. I also we, think we like that it's one without a toilet. The sign or off like the of toilet it. doesn't work, which is why no one was using no, it. Oh. made a bathroom. <gasps> or like, it's like a janitorial closet that had like a shower oh. area and you just took it over and no one goes in the maintenance closet. It's, it's possible that like That's the, what it your was. need was so great. Oh, yeah, there was the a ship, really bad day a few years ago. The ship yeah. kind of moved it and nudged it in that direction. Yeah. The satisfaction that you get out of that powers the ship really well. Wait, that's so good. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I have other notes, but that's really the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, I already mentioned that boat rider is a derogatory term for an outsider. Um Paddler is a term for an outsider, but an affectionate way. Mm. Um, Nari is like an outsider, but who's a neighbor. Someone who's not of the river, but next to the river. So like something or someone can be Nari. Like, yeah, another fish person or... Yeah, from another planet. That's Nari. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, come to the party. Don't worry, they're Nari. Like, or that's not very Nari of you, Joshua. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not that's not very cash money of you. But it's like it's that's sort of a catch-all term for like things that are. Am I your paddler? Um, yes, but I also think you are naughty because you're oozy. Mm. And I think if you were to if if this if this whole ruse were to come crashing down sometime, you would I think PD would immediately label you as naughty. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you've heard her use that word about other things. But the the hand wavy bit that she does is oh it just means that you know it's not from there but it's like it's acceptable mm-hmm. yeah anyway I love these hippo people mm-hmm. thank you for coming hippo. by TED Talk um, just to add the space around the Uzite planet yeah goo space I think goo goo space is highly dependent on the vibe. Oh, yeah. And I think that the planet is composed, like, there, there is a planet, a solid planet, but there's definitely rocks and cliff faces and things that float. Um, and several oozes have made homes, and you might even see just a, a rock the size of a soccer ball, and someone's just sitting on it and vibing out and just living their best life on the ooze planet so it's kind of a there's definitely a planet but there's definitely just like an atmosphere of things that float that oozes live on because oxygen doesn't matter the most to them because they they can also breathe outside of their atmosphere for at least an hour so sometimes maybe maybe they're it's like swimmers swimmers can not breathe for way longer than a lot of other people and I think oozes sometimes challenge themselves and go to higher altitudes, but the the space outside of having those rocky uh, pieces that float really de- like the the texture of it highly depends on the current state of the vibe. And I kind of think that um, that like a, a true vibe keeper or whatever, like. That's the ability to breathe outside your atmosphere or exist outside of your atmosphere is like, I can be in tune with the vibe anywhere. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. vibe keepers especially are like, yeah, I can create a sense of self and home anywhere, even if it would be poisonous to like another oozite. Like that's one of the things that makes vibe keepers kind of legendary special heroes. Because if they have a bit of their planet, of course they can always take home with them that's so mm-hmm. cool yeah um drew yeah the, the, the world of the oh god usagoni usagon yeah that's right yeah uh so cool cool uh the usagoni come from a moon uh a moon called shen and it is a forest of shen moon sorry uh and- <laughs> It is a uh, it, like, like Shen Yun, like like, like, like Shen Mu, like it, it's a video game. It's quite popular, but but go on, please. Uh, it, it circles a a gas giant, um, and it is uh, a forested moon uh, that is that doesn't have a whole lot of fauna on it. Um, the Usagoni are usually the only fauna that live there, uh, and. It, the planet is full of carnivorous plants, uh, which is what they they eat mostly. Uh, they don't really hunt. It's more of the idea that like it, these carnivorous plants, they mutate very quickly. So one season, it's just like a, a pitcher plant. 
just a pit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Usagoni will go out and study it and figure out how to beat it, and then they'll beat it. They'll disarm the trap. And next season, it will be that same one, but it will have added something new. And so they're in this constant kind of thing with these carnivorous plants that they eat. Uh, Usagoni culture is all about uh, the understanding that all Usagoni are prey. Um, their planet connects to open spaces. Uh, so the idea is that they can go in a tunnel and come out in a cupboard on a ship someplace. Or they can like open a, open a small door and that door will lead into uh, a great, a tunnel that opens a great in Caldera. Yes. So Usagoni are all over the mm-hmm. universe. They're everywhere. Um, and so they are preyed upon by tons of species. Uh, and they are okay with that. Like, to be an Usagoni is to be prey. Uh, and because of that, death has no, like, fear. Like, they're, they're not afraid to die. Um, they have this understanding that if they, it's, there's an order to it. If, uh, fleeing is not, like, a, a cowardice thing, it's a noble thing to run. Um, it is a noble thing to hide. It is a noble thing to fight. And it is a noble thing to die in that order. So first you run, then you hide. And if you can't, if you can't run and hide, you fight. If you can't run, hide, and fight, you die. And that's okay. You've done everything you could, so you'll come back. And so they have this reincarnation cycle that they're constantly coming back. Um, and the idea is also that like you have to help other people run and hide as well. So you have to ha- help other Usagoni to run, other other species friends to run as well. Uh, just ditching everybody is like it's not it's not good. It's not a good thing to do. It's kind of it's cowardly. It's not moral. Uh, so they have this this culture based on that. That there's this sense of. Uh, uh, we are prey, and that's fine. Um, and they just permeate the universe in, in different places. Um, they are, uh, they don't really cluster into families. They cluster into like warrens. So it's like a bunch of different families kind of cluster together. They're raised communally and stuff like that. Um, I think this space around Shen, uh, the moon, if you enter into that space, I don't think it's black i think it's white mm-hmm. um i think it's it's white space and uh it is it looks like fog so like you can't really it's stuff stuff you can hide in uh and you can make out trees maybe just beyond the fog but the, by the time you get through the fog it's just more fog until you get to the planet and then, uh, the moon and then you can land on it and it's a little different there that's cool uh so, Harker, which is not his real name, but that's the name he goes by. Harker, uh, there is a classification of Usagoni called Bladesworn. There is a small group that they're like, hey, we are to run and hide and fight, but you, you are to fight. Like, you are, the, you are a group that if you, we need you to fight, you're the ones to do it. And so he was chosen from a very young age to be a Bladesworn. And uh, the best blade sworn uh, get what are called uh, moonshot blades. They're like crystals that uh, what they do is they'll find a, a bunch of crystals and they'll thump in like resonance. 
and it more will, resonance and it will it will don't thump with the vibe mm-hmm. and they will uh hewn blades out of crystal out of home shards uh and if you have one like that's a huge honor they like light up with moonlight like you know they it, they're very very cool uh harker was the youngest one to be able to get a, a moon shard blade like he was good mm-hmm. um and the thing was, is like, it's a very much the blade chooses the, the wielder. So like they go down to the cavern and they'll find a new one. Or, you know, if a former Moonshard blade sworn has died, they'll go out and get it and bring it back. And so they'll have it there. And so what happens is the day before he goes down to get his, he goes alone to go and get his and hide it. So it, they won't choose him because mm-hmm. he doesn't, this life is something that he's like, he doesn't really want. Uh, so he goes down and he chooses this particular, this blade chooses him. It's an old one. It's like chipped and broken and, and stuff like that. So he takes it and he goes to hide it and gets lost and cannot find his way home. So he's constantly like looking around. That's when he was relatively young and he spent like 20 years or so trying to get home. And so most of his life has been spent on like ships trying to find where Shen is and try to get back there. He's never been able to do it. Uh, he meets other Usagoni along the way that he kind of like joins up around him. And uh, eventually he makes it home and it's just not what he remembered. It's just, it, it's not what he, he wanted. He thought that's what he wanted. And when he finally gets it, he's like, this isn't what I wanted. I liked it better when I was out there. And so he leaves again, and that's where we find him. He's been, it's been 10 years since that event. And he's had 10 years working at this diner um, with the other Usagone. Uh, the thing that's most interesting about Harker is that to many Usagone, Harker is the Messiah. Um, he, <laughs> he fits the bill on a bunch of different prophecies. And like folklore. And like myths. folklore and stuff like that. He's like, the, he's got a... He's the Prince of a Thousand Enemies. He's uh, the Merry Wanderer. He's, uh, you know, uh, the Moonshard Blood. He's a bunch of these things, and he's like, I'm I'm not those things. Uh, Sarge, who is one of the, the Usagoni, um, he is part of, he's like a former clergy member. So he's like, yeah, you're, he, he's a Blade Sworn as well. So he's like, yeah, you're the guy. And he's like, I'm not the guy. And I'm tr- kind of playing with Harker this idea of... That's what makes you the guy, sir. Yeah, you say sir. you're not the guy, and that's how I know you're the guy. I know you're not going to like it, because I say it all the time, sir. But with all due respect, you that's what the guy says, <laughs> is I'm not the guy. And so I'm, tr- I'm trying to play with a lot of these ideas of, like, does he have a destiny? Does he not have a destiny? I don't, I don't know. I think we'll find out. But uh, he doesn't want it at all. He would prefer to live a life where he's a cook at a small diner than one where he's, like, the great blade-sworn shard bearer from. So we're looking at Aragorn if he was played by Anthony Bourdain. As, mm. as a rabbit. As yes. a rabbit. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, is there anything else? I mean, there, there's a fun of bunch of fun stuff that we talked about with like Usagoni culture and like how they look at life and death and like if they have a god, it's a god of life and death, and death is like a friend, uh, but death is the ultimate hunter. Death is the one that is there when you're born and gets your scent and then hunts you your whole life until it finally catches you, and then once it catches you, you're like, good, go again. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And it's this this constant race and chase for the Usagoni and between them and death. And we talked about how because that's the way they view death as inevitable and common, um, that life is what causes the celebration. So rather than a big funeral where everybody, you know, celebrates your life and remembers you, it's sort of like, ah, dang, we lost him. Anyway, and that life when when new Usagon are born it's like an Irish wake. There's music and dancing and partying and feasting and like everybody's cheering the mom on as they as they pop these babies out, like like clapping and applauding and throwing confetti. Like the Drink whole while thing. She pushes. Yeah, you know. yeah. That it's like a huge festival to like bring new Usagan into the world. And then when that life is snuffed out, it's sort of like okay. Which means that for Harker, they mourned him. Like, he was gone for a little bit, and they're like, well, he died, obviously, in some way. Yeah. He got taken, so. And that's like, well, you died and then came back, and you're the same. So that's another. And he's like, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't die. Really I didn't really die. I just was gone. Yeah. I just went away. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's what the guy said. That's what the, that's what the guy would say. That's what the guy said. Uh, anything else real quick? Let me look, look through. Can it be, since you're the ultimate blade sworn and whatnot, can it be that the myth is that when death came for you, you fought it and, and won? It. Yeah. yeah. And like, I think literally the thing that you remember is you get the blade, you're trying to find your way back home, you can't, and something surprises you, and you've got this clunky ass chipped up blade or whatever. You turn around and like swing wham, you don't even know what you hit, you know you hit it. But by the time it's there, you don't see anything. And you're like, that could have been a tree. That could have been a root. That that was nothing. Absolutely. And I I think, yeah, there's just all these little things that have happened to Harker in his life where he tells other Usagoni and they're like, you mean like in the prophecy? I've heard that story. No, I just cooked him like a good stew and he fed him from nothing. Yeah, that like yeah, I love this idea that the the rabbit people are like very invested in no this. No disrespect, sir. You are a man who is best at death. I know this. I look into your eyes. I see this thing. <laughs> I've been arguing about this for ten years, and I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I I didn't do that. Like you, you want to look the moonshard blade? It's away. I put it away. I'm not. Yes, you have already used it for the ultimate purpose. (laughs) Yeah, there is no need. (laughs) You fought and and you wounded death. It's really good. Death is now handless. Anyway, so that's that's hard. That's good. And that's that's why he's got he's got like these other Usagoni that follow him around. Some of them are like, yeah, you're just you're just Harker, and some of them are like, you're the guy, the thing. We know it. That's why he doesn't go home too, because everyone. That's another reason why. But yep, that's Brad. That's Brad, and that's that's where he's from. He's from uh, the forested moon of Shen. Um, okay, so we have to. In, in mine, I got to figure out dragonlings and kind of what they mean. And because we have this sort of like collected mythos consciousness thing that is the universe woven together, I kind of think dragons are a common theme, sort of like in in our world, like there are a lot of different cultures that have their concept of what a dragon is. I think dragons are just like one of those common themes across culture that stand for 
grandiosity and power and, uh, you know, all of these different things. Um, and I think dragons as creatures, um, like they are these like lizard like creatures, but they are creatures that are kind of built on like hedonism. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the idea of like a dragon collecting a horde is like they want to experience like wealth and power and, and they do it by whatever means they can. And I think when a dragon has reached a, a zenith point of that kind of like hedonistic bliss, that is what allows them to forge an egg. So that's why dragons are rare. And those dragons that exist are like big and whatnot. And because like, they're these, you know, shape-shifting creatures that, like, from space and from different universes and different cultural, like, concepts of what a dragon is. And they are after experience and power and pleasure and whatnot. I kind of think, like, there is a lot of, you know, crossbreeding with, with different, like, creatures and whatnot. That's sort of what dragons are and represent. So dragonlings are kind of, like, the result of that, like an egg that hatches and it is not like a full dragon, but it is something that's been touched by something else. Um, and I think there, in addition to all of this stuff, if you follow the threads of dragons from other cultures, there is a dragon nexus, the mm. dragon galaxy, the dragon homeworld, which is the most heavy metal ass place that you can imagine yes. there are big volcanoes there are huge snowy mountains there's fucking lightning everywhere <laughs> it is just like the most overwrought extreme thing and all of the dragons that grow to like this ancient and mythical legendary size will travel down the dragon pathway, eventually reaching the dragon homeworld. Um, so like, I think this is just a thing that is out there exists. I think during the battle between the forces of darkness, like the horrors, the combined horrors of all living and thinking things in all of the universe and the universe itself, I think kind of at the forefront of that fight was the dragons, like dragons like stepped in and fought alongside everybody. And that's like, it feeds into the idea of dragons as these really awesome mythical things um and so when the forces of darkness are defeated and like evil is is forced to like like it can't be obliterated it will keep coming back so it's either we have to fight this eternal war or you know and evil's like well i i you know i will just be contained and completely destroyed like has to reshape itself into something that can be coexisted with or, or people can tolerate there is a deal struck between uh evil and dragons that they need some of the cachet some of the style some of the attractiveness of dragons and in exchange they won't do all of the terrible things that they 
have done previously. And so you have hell, which is like this shade of the dragon world. It is still overwrought and like a heavy metal video. There are lakes of lava and whatnot. And there are all of these like chaotic troublemakers that live there. Um, and they're just essentially borrowing the dragon's IP in order to like keep this running. And so like dragonlings who are not dragons and will never be dragons, like there is kind of like this idea of uh, the, the, this cultural desire to like get in touch with that. And I think hell preys upon that mm -hmm. and like they will approach many dragonlings with the offer of like we will give you power in exchange for you know doing our dark bidding and a lot of that are like the arch demons and arch devils they're like i will i will sponsor you with hell's power and you will do great things so like you know, people who would fill back in D D three five, uh the dragonborn of Bahamut mm -hmm. are not a species. It was a ritual that you could undergo if you were another species. You could build yourself a, an egg and emerge as a dragonborn version of whatever your species was. Um so I, I kind of think like dragonlings look very weird they're very biodiverse and mm -hmm. whatnot because like yeah there's probably you know a a uh hippo person who slept with the dragon there's there's uh an usagon who slept with the dragon there might be a plasmoid or a <laughs> person that slept with the dragon like um and so there is like a draconic version of that thing and i think like the devils like the arch devils are going out they're seeking out like okay who is vulnerable who is powerful who can lead into the idea that like selfishness and power and whatnot these things that we've taken from the dragon and, and like the dark version of that can be cool and desirable and it's not just that i can coexist with this thing but i coexist with this thing because i truly want this thing um and if you are a a dragonling who can't get an archdemon sponsorship, like one of the, the 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 sideways strategy that is like kind of new and emergent is if you can get a bunch of imps, a bunch of these lower level demonic entities to get invested in you, they can contribute power to you. And I think it can even extend beyond that. Like if you get people watching you, as we, we've determined that like not everybody is like watching streams. It's not like a thing where people have like televisions and whatnot at home. But if you're a wizard, you can contemplate your orb and probably a lot of orb contemplation is watching these like hell driven like <laughs> prank youtube prank shows or whatever um so that's where sack is um in that like as a dragonling he's like a shade of what people think of when they think of dragons and he's just kind of one of these beings that has been drawn into this cycle of faceless evil that is like trying to bill itself as a thing that is acceptable and can be around and not just that but is desirable and can be fed into it um so it's some of that performative capitalism stuff so like sack is just kind of like doing the cultural thing that's set before him it's mm -hmm. like 
well, you know, I do have like part of this urge to like live a very hedonistic life where, where I, you know, seek out all the power and pleasure that I can. Um, and I, I have like, there are all these other people around me making deals with arch demons and, and that's making them live really cool lives. And I want some of that for myself. Um, so he's caught in those throws. Uh, and, uh, like, I think probably the dragonlings who are the most legendary, who are like at the top of the top for, uh, the arch demons and whatnot. It's not that like you live in the hell world. It's that like the arch demon is like, I can get you a path to the dragon planet mm. and you can like, we can get you there to, to the center the, the draconic center of all things. Um, and so that is like kind of the, the grind that you're on as, as a dragon like, um, and so they have like a very weird sort of place in society. Like, I don't think every dragonling gets drawn into that because there's also like the flip side of this is like the, true draconic nobility of like being heroic and, and being stalwart and powerful and whatnot. And I feel like dragonlings like tend to break kind of one way or the mm -hmm. other um, in this. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where it's at. Like um, do, do dragonlings, if they make it to the dragon homeworld, do they become dragon? Like what is the, I think that's like the implication or the idea. The, the, the thing to queen the, thing. The thing is, like nobody's like come. No dragonling has come back from the dragon homeworld, and the assumption is like, well, why would you ever want to come back? It's yeah. like the most metal place yeah. in all of creation. Like, why would you leave? Absolutely. And like you know, there the, the people who have gone to Dragon World to come back are the most legendary dragons of all time throughout all the universe. So it's not like they're bothering to describe what it's like to everybody else, you know? Yeah. Uh, two things. First of all, I apologize. I thought there would be way more gamer terms and whatever you would mixed up for this character, which is why I was like... The gamer stuff is all tied up in the, the hell and Twitch streaming thing, which this is an emergent art for this is brand new mm -hmm. cutting edge stuff mm -hmm. the, like sack is like one of the first of a new wave of dragonlings who are on this streaming grind you know um second thing does sack know about all of the rent money that's just sitting in a pile in the landlord's suite. I don't do think any so. of us because Sack like doesn't he go through the vents? He kind of knows this building inside and out. That's why I'm suspicious. He he, he does he does know the building inside and out. It, it might just be that like he doesn't want to make waves. Like he is for this building. Like the you know, groundskeeper, quote unquote, like he is the handyman who repairs like stuff when it breaks down and, you know, is supposed to be able to like keep this place running. And in exchange, like he gets room and board and, you know, he lives within the walls in doing that. So like he's, 
I don't think going to go into the owner unit because I'm like, that's like losing his day job. And like, he can't really afford to do that because his streaming career really depends on him having a lot of time. I think that owner unit is trapped as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a vault at this point. Do you think it's actual physical wealth in there? Or do you think the robot went to the extent of like, depositing like using okay uh i think it is literally physical wealth i think you pay your rent and the robot toddles off to the room and just drops it on this cartoonishly massive pile (laughs) of treasure this what what's the oh my um this ducktails ass i love the mental image that i'm developing of a cross-section of our apartment building and like all of the stuff that's actually there that we don't really realize because we don't know that it's a ship until it's taken off is beautiful. And mm-hmm. I wish we had concept art of it because it's extravagant. Hey, maybe, maybe someday, maybe There's someday. Yeah. Like, we'll see. Let's, we'll, we'll do a gut rehab. We'll, we'll find all 28 layers of paint and start peeling them off and gain like a, like 10 square feet of room in each yeah. room. It'll be amazing. This wall isn't a wall. It's just paint. It's just paint. How did they do this? Um, I think that's it. I think, yeah, I think that's uh, where we're at. Um, I'm super excited. This is very, very yeah, fun. This yeah, is, yeah, this is a lot of fun and it's very interesting and it, it's kind of mind bendy too, which I, I kind of like, mm. and I think it's better than than uh, Spack Hacker. Spack Hacker, mm-hmm. Spackle Hackle. Yeah, I'm 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 much more happy to to mess around with this than uh, get too lost in in Wizards of the Coast's weeds. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this was good. This was a happy uh, a happy tragedy. <laughs>